1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been quite boring this week, so we thought we'd go straight in and read some of your emails because you're more interesting than us. So we've had an email in from Matthew Blackstad, who says, Hello, first I wanted to say how much I'm enjoying Seriously. I love to read these bits out of these emails, even though I know that's like, if we were on the radio, that that would be poor etiquette. So yes, he's complimented us. And he says, Even though I'm in my 40s, I haven't felt, as one of your listeners suggested in a recent email, that you have a bias towards youth-oriented content. He says, of course fandoms tend to be young but they aren't exclusively so. I'm still totally a Marvel nerd, even if convention says I should have grown out of that rubbish a long time ago. Which is really nice. Thanks, Matthew.
1: And then we've also had an email from Jo, who got in touch to talk to us about Diana Wynne-Jones and the lives of Christopher Chant, which I recommended Anna a couple of weeks ago. And she says that, I I think people don't usually read this book first, which maybe explains Anna some of your difficulties with kind of getting into the world, that (laughs) you weren't actually supposed to read this book first, sorry. And then she also says, I wanted to recommend the maddest book I've ever read by the same author. It's called A Sudden Wild Magic, and it's super, super weird. Excellent recommendation. The thing I really appreciate about it though is that the main character is a woman with a toddler who she has to look out for through the whole book. It's the only book I know where a young mum gets to have a mad fantasy adventure. That sounds really great and I'm totally going to read that. Thank you very much Jo.
0: That sounds awesome. And then we've had another email in from Jeremy who says that the podcast excellent. Thanks Jeremy. I saw Inside Out on the strength of your review which I would never have done in a million years otherwise and I ended up seeing it twice. I loved it so much. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, That makes me so happy. Me too. Jeremy also says I would be grateful if you could do a few links to good fan fiction you say it exists in your first podcast i don't doubt it i just suspect there's a lot of rubbish that i would have to wade through to find it and as someone completely unfamiliar with the genre i wouldn't even know where to start Which is a good question. It's quite a difficult one to answer, isn't it?
1: It is, because we don't know what you're into, Jeremy. And this is the thing, fan fiction exists for almost everything you could name and a lot of things that you wouldn't even expect to have fan fiction. And quite a lot of, for me anyway, the enjoyment of it is dependent on your investment in the thing it's from. Mm -hmm. I mean, fan fiction is generally considered in the kind of academic media studies of this type to be a transformative work, i.e. it takes something original and transforms it into something new. So without knowing what your preference for the original is it's quite hard to recommend you things so if you could let us know then we can maybe try and be a bit more helpful but generally places like fanfiction.net and archiveofourown.org are good places to start you can sort of sort by genres and shows and books and stuff and characters and hopefully find something you like.
0: But if anyone out there listening is like well I don't care what you're into but this fanfiction is amazing then let us know too because yes, we're always be keen to find more stuff. Yes,
1: um, emails to seriouslypod at gmail.com or tweets to srslypod on Twitter would be great. Oh, and we have Facebook now as well. We should mention this. I am, in a very lackluster fashion, I'm trying to do a Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash srslypod.
0: The first thing we're going to talk about this week is the intern. (laughs) She says that drum roll was because I forgot. (laughs) 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 Uh, But it's the intern. (laughs) We both went to see it over the weekend, didn't we? And the cinema was packed out.
1: I know. I mean, I've already bored Anna with this story about how I tried to go to one cinema and got the time wrong and then had to go to another one and then got stuck on a bus and stuff. Very boring. But the point was that when I got to the second cinema, thinking I was slightly late but plenty of time, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon, it's a kind of light-hearted Nancy Myers film, it'll be fine, there was only one seat left on sale and I had to kind of <laughs> climb over lots and lots of quite disgruntled people to get to it. Which, yeah, was really shocking to me. But then I was really surprised when Macbeth was full last Sunday and I think I might just be now learning that people in London and go to the cinema on Sundays?
0: Yeah, maybe that's it. But I went to see Macbeth on a Sunday too and it was like really, really quiet. Mm. The cinema that I go to is never packed out at all. And it was so busy for the intern and like the people behind the counter were like, oh, sold out in every showing in a, in a way that was obviously unusual to them because yeah, they were like telling okay. random customers. So yeah, I I don't quite sure what to attribute it to because although it stars Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, they, these aren't like the most insane popular stars of the moment and the the film is fairly low key, I'd say.
1: Yeah, and I don't feel like it's had enormously heavy promotion, at least not on channels that I follow. No. But but yeah, it was really, really busy and judging by the way people were like laughing and screaming in
0: my screen, they were really enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. And I too really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I did as well. I think I was perhaps slightly coloured by some of the, I mean, our film critic Ryan Gilby wrote a bit about Robert De Niro's had a slightly emotional time on the PR trail where he stormed out of an interview saying it was too negative and various other things and so i was maybe i was slightly colored by that to think oh this is going to be a, a film that i'm going to have to sit through rather than mm. enjoy but no completely wrong so why did he storm out do we know so robert de niro walked out of an interview with the radio Times, citing the quote negative inferences of his inquisitor who dared to ask how he keeps from going into autopilot mode during long days on set
0: mm, it doesn't seem unless i guess you have to hear it spoken don't you yeah, Because uh, maybe he was like, oh, well, autopilot seems to be a problem with you. But anyway, I thought he was good in it. I thought he was very... It's it's not exactly his most challenging role, is it? But it...
1: No, it was good. And I do think that there is a lot of skill in doing that kind of lower-key role well. Mm-hmm. Like, in the film, there's that bit where Jules, uh, played by Anne Hathaway, who's kind of his much, much younger boss. He's, he's her intern of the title. She says, I wish you didn't have such a transparent face. That really spoke to me because I was like, yeah,
0: he does have a really transparent face in this film. She sends an email that says he's too observant at one point. He does have that kind of face that looks like it's doing several things at once.
1: Yeah, so Nancy Myers, who wrote and directed this film, she specialises in putting really, really highly rated older actors who are known for another kind of acting into a light-hearted comedy setting and then letting them do what they do. In It's Complicated, It's Meryl Streep, in Something's Got to Give... It's Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton, and obviously now it's Robert De Niro's turn to have this. But the point about this film is that she's made it about the dynamic between youth and age. Okay, Benjamin, I'm gonna ask you one of our more telling questions for all of our interns, so I want you to like, this is the one to really think about, okay? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? When I'm 80. And I myself. The world is Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the senior intern program? Seniors
0: in high school or college?
1: No, 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 no. It's seniors in life.
0: Hold on. What?
1: That's our founder and CEO, Jules Austin. Any tips before I go in? Blink. Blink. She hates when people don't blink, it weirds her out. Hi Jules. I'm Ben, your new intern. I'm glad you also see the humor in this. Be hard not to. Which is not something I think I've seen her do before.
0: Yeah, normally it's older characters on one age level.
1: Whereas this is focusing on a working relationship between a young person and an old person.
0: Yeah, which is really nice. But and also as the film goes on it extends much more, you know, beyond a yes. working relationship and becomes about a friendship. One of the scenes that was my one of my favorites in it is they go on a business trip away together and Anne Hathaway is very nervous about a big presentation she has to give and uh he to help calm her nerves and also to help help her through other problems in her life they're sort of lying on the bed together chatting (laughs) it's like so like completely non-sexual and so like nice and
1: and he won't even to start with, he wants to keep one foot on the floor. Yeah. And I, I, I saw that and I thought, that's some kind of outdated chivalry thing, isn't it? That like, if you keep one foot on the floor, then you're definitely not.
0: She says to him like, oh, you lie on the bed. I know you're tired. I'll take the chair. And then like immediately lies on the bed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's like, I thought you were going to sit on the chair. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it bothers him. I, yeah, it's really sweet. There's also, as well as their sort of relationship, there's the kind of dynamic of her business. So he's he's come to do this senior internship program at her business. Which is an internet startup based in Brooklyn. It works out of this factory loft place, yeah. and it's it's like no other place he's ever worked. You know, he he worked for a company that made phone books for forty years. You know, mm-hmm. it it's a, but he's he's there because retirement was boring him and getting him down not having a routine not having stuff to do and he's keen to learn
0: but it's always a thing when you're like looking for jobs that they're like oh we want someone with genuine enthusiasm for x y and z and although he doesn't really have genuine enthusiasm for like e-commerce as they frame it or women's fashion he does just have genuine enthusiasm to work <laughs> which is and really to sort nice
1: solve problems yeah. as well you get the sense that helping her solve the problems of why people are bouncing off their homepage and not going through to look at things he just is interested in behavior
0: yeah exactly there are some things in it though that are really funny because i think on the whole it succeeded in portraying that workplace that sort of like yeah the, the
1: sort of slightly ridiculousness of a startup and a company that's staffed almost entirely by people under the age of 35 i think on the whole it
0: was good at that but there were some moments where you're just like this is ridiculous like one of the pivotal things that he does to impress her is clean a table full of stuff and she's yeah. like really anxious about the table and every time she walks past she's like, why is this so messy? Why hasn't anyone cleaned up? I refuse to believe that Anne Hathaway was that successful in the 18 month period that she like rose and you know, with this startup and created this enormous company that she would not be, you know, forceful enough to say someone has to clean that table now. Stop leaving it done. your random yeah. shit on that table. <laughs> I don't believe yeah. that. I, I find it really hard to believe that all the challenges of like the new digital frontier, the biggest one was like cleaning the table.
1: <laughs> but the the whole sort of point is that she's supposed to be slightly losing control it's got a bit too big for her to manage
0: yeah
1: um and so i think the table thing was supposed to be sort of symbolic of that yeah but it was yeah it was a bit clumsy (laughs) and how she needs him to help her get control of it yeah Um, and also
0: part of the story is about how
1: she's also full of self-doubt and to an extent self-loathing yeah that um you know she is good at just shutting people down who are being sexist to her or one of the threads of the film is that she's sort of, she's meeting potential candidates for a CEO for the company who will help her take some of the load. And they're and all men, aren't they? And they're all men and she comes out something and she was like, nope, he called us a chick site and I didn't hear anything you said after that. Yeah. So she is self-confident enough to do that but she's not self-confident enough not to let it bother her
0: Mm -hmm. and she's plagued by nerves even though she's also very aware of her own competence Mm. which i think is actually a really realistic drawing of like a woman in business because obviously you get the miranda priestly uh devil wears prada character that anne hathaway obviously acted against meryl streep um in that film you know they tried their best to sort of lend her some vulnerability towards the end and make it well drawn but like actually are there really Miranda Priestley's in this world like I know that it's supposed to be Anna Winter, but like I think most successful women aren't in that mold necessarily and all the women I know certainly who are really successful are much closer to that Anne Hathaway character yeah. in this
1: yeah you can both be aware of imposter syndrome and also experience it at the same time exactly. I think yeah in so... fact that's
0: probably the most likely if you yes. suffer from it that's yeah, probably yeah. exactly what's going to happen you can
1: know it's a you can know you have it and then at the same time feel troubled by it but um yeah so I thought that was interesting and nuanced and well done I enjoyed slightly less the intersection with her domestic life in that her husband I just wasn't particularly bothered by him I just every time he was on screen it was like you're just using up time that could be given to something else um
0: yeah because her family life basically is obviously She's had a real quick rise to success and her husband has sort of, because of that, agreed to take her back seat and become a full-time dad when actually before he was more successful than her. And he's this kind of like ginger hipster with a fairly weak chin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who looks, And a bad haircut. Yeah, he, he kind of like, he's like 70% towards being like the attractive hipster mold Mm. but he like doesn't he's kind of punching above his weight a little bit and that i kind of felt like Anne hathaway could do better and then this is spoilery so if you're gonna go see the film don't listen to me now but he turns out he's having an affair
1: with one of the stay-at-home mums from the school gate so it's like well she puts this own interpretation on it doesn't she that in order to sort of reassert his masculinity after having been you know kept in the home he picks the opposite of her like someone yeah. who has chosen to make that noble sacrifice for their family not someone who's let someone else do it and gone and gone with her career yeah um so yeah he's just annoying
0: but the best bits in the film really are like when Robert De Niro is like now I hate to be the feminist among the two of us but like you can be successful and not expect your husband to cheat on you like it's, and, and it's not, not don't feel sorry for him because he like sacrificed stuff to be a stay-at-home dad like yes that's that's a good choice but that doesn't entitle him to like then sleep with other people yeah that was that's a great
1: and <laughs> and also when he's trying to say to her that you don't have to try and understand what he did you don't have to in some way think that you contributed to his behavior by choosing your job
0: yeah
1: not that you even have chosen your job you're still very involved with your daughter and all the rest of it yeah, yeah so that, that was good
0: and, and for me Again, spoilery, but ultimately not resolved because Robert De Niro's character is very much like, don't go back to your husband after he cheated on you because, like, you're just giving him permission to do it again mm-hmm. and, like, you deserve better. Basically, Jules is like, I don't want this to end and I'm not really ready for it to end, so I'm going to try really hard to mm-hmm. make it work. And then, I mean, I guess it's quite ambiguous what actually happens at the end, but they seem to reunite and he seems to have ended his affair. She and seems it just to feels a bit like. Chance yeah and it just feels a bit like "Mm, we just because he ended it himself are we really saying that he's therefore like redeemed I don't know for me Mm. that was a little bit like
1: it did feel perhaps to me a bit more realistic I think probably narratively for the film it would have been more satisfying if she'd gone no get out of my life I'm an awesome single parent now Mm. but I don't know I feel like in real life a woman with her responsibilities at work you know she's in the middle of a big expansion and hiring someone and you know with a young daughter and all these other all this other stuff going on probably she would postpone the decision
0: yeah and she... they do there's a lot of emphasis also on the length of the affair so we know that it's probably like less than a month yeah which i guess makes a difference But I still kind of felt like even if she was going to take him back, I wanted to hear a really good justification for it. Um, We didn't hear that. And maybe that's because Nancy Myers actually wanted to leave it more open to interpretation than I felt like it was.
1: I think there's a couple of things also to talk about just with Anne Hathaway. Mm -hmm. There's been an article on BuzzFeed recently that sort of pegged to this film that's gone around everywhere called Anne Hathaway Can't Win by Anne Helen Peterson, which identifies this thing called Anne Hathaway syndrome, which she Mm -hmm. defines as when you work hard, when that work is awarded, when your body and beauty match societal standards, when you check every box and still everyone tells you you're doing it wrong. That's Anne Hathaway syndrome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that a lot. Cause was it when Les Mis came out, or I can't remember what it was, but there was a real sort of like, oh, Anne Hathaway's so annoying. She tries so hard. She's not like uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who can like who always goes on about how she's eating loads of burgers and like having a yeah, beer.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what Peterson identifies here. She said, if Lawrence was the girl both men and women wanted to drink beers with, then Hathaway was the one dominating the conversation at the cocktail party. That
0: yeah, basically, that you she tries to get too hard. Away from. Yeah, yeah, which is. I kind of get what she's saying and and when Miz came out this speaks well of Anne Hathaway I think which is probably Anne Helen Peterson's point she's doing loads of press and they were all asking her about how she lost weight for the role mm. which is obviously so annoying but instead of saying why are you asking me that she'd be like oh I you know I really don't want to you know encourage extreme dieting and young people and blah 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 which is actually like a really really good thing to say but there was something about the way she said it that made her sound a little pious
1: (laughs) yeah and i suppose also with that she lost weight for a role as a consumptive dying yeah, exactly. poor woman from the 19th century you know she didn't lose weight to conform to some kind of no, beauty no, standards no, exactly. Yeah.
0: and I, and I, and that's why as I'm saying this I'm like saying that it's yeah. so bad of me to sit there and be like oh you seem pious when actually she's saying all the right things and I actually really respect her well, that's for what the she's saying. problem
1: isn't it that she does apparently say and do all the right things and yet still we can't bring ourselves to like her I have to say I wasn't really aware of this until I read this article mm. but all the way through I was like yeah, I probably have had those thoughts. Yes, I have, and now I've decided to love Anne Hathaway more yeah, to compensate. Me too.
0: Because also Anne Hathaway, when I first think of Anne Hathaway, I don't think of her in like those moments. I think of like The Princess Diaries. Yes, you know Devil Wears Prada. And actually, there's something to be said for the idea that to be Jennifer Lawrence, you have to have just as polished and just of worked just as hard at your public persona. But obviously hers is just more successful in that it appears more effortless.
1: Yeah, and I think it ties into the character she plays in this film because that's kind of what Jules is like, isn't it? That she's plagued with these nerves that she's not fitting in, that she's not sort of presenting herself as she ought to be Mm -hmm. whilst working incredibly hard and succeeding. Yeah. Um, So I think that's why this whole... Peterson calls Anne Hathaway syndrome has kind of come to a head a little bit in that she's now done a kind of on-screen manifestation of what everyone's been saying about her for the last couple of years anyway.
0: Yeah and I hope there's a backlash to the backlash against yes, Anne Hathaway. Always, always.
1: <laughs> and then there was another bit of reaction to this film that I wanted to just touch on which is more to do with Nancy Myers. Incidentally I've also rewatched It's Complicated this uh-huh. weekend partnership with this this film.
0: and That's the one with Meryl Streep and it's Steve one, Martin and Alec Baldwin yes, right? I love that film so much. It's a fantastic (laughs) film.
1: Meryl Streep is incredible in it, which is obviously a phrase you can use about every film she's in. Well, Anne Friedman says that the point of her article, which is published by the New York Magazine, is that, you know, she liked the intern, but wouldn't it have been great if the Ben character could have been an older woman? Because, you know, there are so few roles for them and that would have been an interesting sort of female friendship dynamic. The kind of female friendship that Myers conjures in films like It's Complicated is what what Friedman calls a preview of the life I want to lead post sixty. Wearing a turtleneck, drinking wine with a group of women who are throwing their heads back and laughing, getting up early to write, gardening. Which was just such a lovely encapsulation of the kind of older womanhood that yeah. Nancy Myers projects. Yeah. And yeah, I get that it would have been nice to get some of that in the intern, which you don't really.
0: True. Can I say, I would, I envisage myself living my entire life wearing a turtleneck, drinking a glass of wine, surrounding myself with women, laughing loudly. I'm kind yeah. of, the only thing missing right now is the wine yeah. from that description. Yeah, true. But, um, um, but yeah, the gardening and the getting up early, we can add that on post-60.
1: Yeah, but I, I think those are kind of aspirations and realities that you don't get to see women doing on film that yeah, much, true. but you do in a Nancy Myers film. Yeah, and yeah I really like that on balance a, a really nice comedy and also with some kind of underlying issues that are good to talk about
0: yeah i'm still mystified by its like blockbustery style <laughs> yes, of <me> success <laughs> in like london cinemas considering it is a very low stakes maybe jolly there's nothing affair. else out at the moment i don't know but uh, but i did really enjoy it so cheers nancy for that this one <laughs> i have been through a whole
1: lot. trial tribulation but i know God. Say, want to put me in a bow tie. Pray that the holy water don't go dry, yeah, yeah. So now we're going to talk about Downton Abbey. If you don't already know what it is, then I don't know where you've been in the english I don't know world how to help you. <laughs> in the last six years, because it is the ITV drama phenomenon that has transported around the world, won lots and lots of awards, made loads of money, inexplicably convinced everyone that Julian Fellows is great at writing TV drama. Yeah. It's become one of those things that has ceased to be entertainment news and just become news news. And I think we both have slightly complicated relationships with it in the sense that I think we've both at one time or another really liked Downton Abbey or rather watched it very avidly, liked is maybe not the right word, but in full recognition of the fact that it's maybe not very good and also not really sure why we're watching it so avidly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is the correct description.
1: (laughs) And I find this... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
1: It's a really strange reaction. It's a reaction that I don't actually have to many TV things because I'm not hate watching it. I'm not watching it because I know it's terrible and I get some kind of kick out of that. But at the same time, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that it's not very well written. The characters are weirdly and unevenly drawn. Some of the acting's quite hammy. And yet I really look forward to it.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying there, but maybe it is the same as watching something like X Factor because nobody watches X Factor really to hate watch it. Nobody watches X Factor really to be like, oh, this show is terrible though. They watch it to talk about it. Like, true. And I think when I was really sort of into watching Downton Abbey, I sort of had a group of people that I would like chat to about Downton Abbey and be like, oh my God, this was ridiculous. And that's the joy of it is being like, how stupid is X, Y, Z? It's its own parody, essentially. Yeah. And that's the fun of the show.
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, I have recently reignited a Downton Abbey Tumblr that I had and started talking on that again, which I haven't for a couple of seasons. And it's been such a joy. All the people are still there, still talking about it. There's even new people. And you're right, you watch it to talk about it. Because it is its own parody, it is its own sort of comic foil, even when it's trying to be so serious. I feel like also some of the ways in which Julian Fellowes writes and plots it lend itself to this There's always been this thing, we're on the sixth and last series now, we're four episodes in. Normally by this point in a series, there's a big thing that happens that then is the kind of water cooler moment on the Monday morning at work. I think in the previous series, it was when Anna the maid got raped by a... um, visiting valet
0: yeah that was series four that was that
1: series four that that was not last
0: series it was not the fact that she'd been raped but the fact that she had potentially murdered her rapist oh yes that was
1: it and the time when what's his face died on christmas day isn't it you Matthew, know, Matthew <laughs> I can't remember his name. You know, the kind of romantic lead of the show died in a car, a like ridiculously EastEnders-style car accident on Christmas Day.
0: EastEnders style, by the way, is just is how the whole yeah. thing. Is. It's a soap opera. Yeah, and it's interesting that one of the I
1: think it's the producer once said in the Q and A that when he and Julian Fellows were first talking about doing something like this, it was because they spotted that there was a gap in the market for a soap style upstairs downstairs class historical thing like it didn't become Eastender style it was conceived as such.
0: Yeah exactly and that's why it's so funny that it's treated sometimes as like something that was actually written in that yeah. time like in that, it's sometimes treated much more like a period adaptation yes. than it is a complete modern because, soap opera
1: because of the costumes and the setting and yeah I which are
0: like really Beautiful. well done Like yeah. I think the success in the show lies often in the detail of it's like construction and the period effects and stuff though I don't know if everyone watching this will have the same thing but they have these like really annoying Amazon adverts yes before and after you know in, 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 as this kind of sponsor Sponsorship thing in each ad break, which like break the fourth wall in a really annoying way. So it's like people in period costume, and then someone is like on set, and like this series, it's just like some creep like wooing one of the actresses, which is annoying anyway. But it's a bit like, oh, I was watching this period drama, and now you're gonna like have someone in wearing period clothes, but also with a puffer jacket over the tops, just to like really a kindle, yeah, yeah, exactly,
1: yeah, that is a bit irritating. But you know, it's making ITV a lot of money. (laughs) that They're then putting into X Factor, so you know. We can't complain yeah so this this series there hasn't been the kind of big inciting incident so far and I think this is because it's the last one because Julian Fellows is going on to write other stuff and because they've said that they want it to kind of bow out before it outstays it's welcome
0: yeah which comes... I think like they're teetering very close to the edge yeah for that I was decision. It's say... like, say well it's pretty much like
1: <laughs> so the problem with this most recent series is that they've got that ending thing they're trying to tie up every storyline and give everybody some kind of resolution even people who haven't previously really had any. So like last night's outrage on my Tumblr was the fact that we seem to be being presented with a sort of fait accompli that Daisy is kind of going to be in a relationship with Andy the footman even though yeah
0: we've had like one exchange of eyes one
1: exchange of eyes as far as we can tell they've never been alone in a room together yeah. and yet for some reason he seems to be talking about like wanting to run her father-in-law's farm with her it makes no sense that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to like grab Julian Fellows by the neck and shake him roughly
0: also because Daisy has been around all the like footmen yes <laughs> it's just like oh here's a footman for Daisy here's another footman for Daisy this little piggy yeah. died of consumption this little piggy became a chef (laughs) this little piggy quite wants to have a farm one day so maybe go for that piggy like it's a bit (laughs) yeah that's really annoying yeah but the whole thing is a bit like that in that although it's very formulaic in some ways and very very so on the level of like individual plot threads in each episode they're structured in a very familiar way oh two people have a misunderstanding problem arises based on that misunderstanding problem is resolved and everything goes back to normal basically that on an episode by episode level and then the structure of the episodes are identical each time as i think we've talked about before like each plot gets about 10 minutes of screen time no matter
1: how big or small it is so this this really angered me in the not the most recent one but the one before last episode three where we got the wedding of the butler and the housekeeper that got the exact same amount of time as like a minor disagreement between two other servants who are barely in it and who has not been touched on again Mm -hmm. so this very segmented attitude to plotting you don't get any hierarchy of storytelling
0: no no and there's not really much like overlap between plots even though sometimes they'll make it seem that way by like having them set in the same room and then on a series level as well as you've talked about there's the same kind of like points in the season where there will be climaxes and dips and then the Christmas special will have something shocking in it and blah 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 despite all of that a lot of the time the fates of the characters can feel very last minute and random as with Daisy sometimes you can just feel maids being shunted off to god knows where and like all this kind of stuff doesn't really follow any sort of pattern so that can be a little bit confusing and as you say characters like change wildly season to season so i think the best example of this is barrow who begins as like a complete cartoonish villain and then when they decide to give him some vulnerability has a plot line about him being gay and then once they've done that they're a bit like oh well we can't go back and like continue with this this evil guy because maybe that'll be slightly homophobic and also like people kind of have empathy for him now so let's not ruin it so then he just becomes like quite nice with like a little bit of an edge and it's like very your opinion on Barrow will change hugely depending on when you see him it doesn't really feel like development
1: yeah and there was also one particular episode it was the one where they were playing cricket i can't remember when it felt
0: where he
1: was sort of very noble he was very noble and they were going to call the police and report him for being super gay and then they weren't because he was good at cricket yeah and oh yeah that was that was the
0: most frustrating exactly and like lord grantham his opinions change with the wind yeah they often try to draw him as this very backwards looking person so for example in the first season the real like fear is that he will discover that mary had sex and it's like such a big deal because if 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 he finds out like supposedly mary will be cast out of the home forever and blah 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 and then in this season i mean Literally, it's the difference between, what, like, 1915 and 1925 or something ridiculous. In this season, he, like, finds out Mary has sex and he's like, good news, I think you should be in charge of everything. This shows that you're very responsible. And you're like, what? Like, like, I do not disagree that, you know. But it's just so weird because his character is just so, like, up and down. And they're not very, like, in tune A with the opinions of the time. They don't try very hard to, like, because that's distasteful. So, for example, everyone's really nice to the servants all the time. Which is, like... Obviously not how it would have been, but also, it's more palatable. You
1: just you just wouldn't let your butler and housekeeper get married and then pay for them to go on their honeymoon. Yeah, you just wouldn't. You'd you maybe you'd like let them retire and wish them well, but no, would. But not this is happen. part of
0: the whole like problem with Downton abbey as like classist nostalgia in that it makes it look like quite a jolly affair for yeah. everyone to like have servants and, and you know unelected rule and all these things seem like quite cheerful and nice when actually none of it's it, i do feel like more in the first season there was a lot more about like the struggles of people downstairs against
1: yeah
0: the, well, and we, then they just kind of did away with that
1: we got a little bit of that In the most recent episode, where um, Gwen, who's a former housemaid, came back as the wife of someone that they were having a posh meeting with, Mm. and she explained how it was Lady Sybil, daughter of the house, who helped her get her first job as a secretary. So you found an opportunity and took it. Brava. But I didn't find
0: it. Lady Sybil found it. Sybil helped you? Yes. But she did everything. She looked
1: out for the jobs, lent me clothes, drove me to the interviews. But one time, I remember the horse went lame, and we both got stuck in the mud. And oh, oh, the talking we had to do when we got back. <laughs> I remember we were so worried. But she never said a thing about you. It was our secret pact. And then one day, she cornered the man who was installing the telephone here, and... Uh, That's how I got my first job in business. And then from there, she went on to work for local government. And then, and then she met her husband. And now they run this sort of college together. And, you know, basically, she's a kind of she's bettered herself she's made something of herself she's become a professional woman but all that served to remind me is that we haven't had a storyline like that since series
0: one but also they were like oh sybil like sybil and that was a lot more in the first series it was a lot more about how like sybil was not like the rest of the family and that she was you know pro she wanted the vote and
1: she wanted to wear trousers yeah and And
0: she you know basically was very pro social mobility and the rest of them aren't and then there's just this kind of idea that they are kind of all broadly like pro social mobility they just maybe don't want their own own servants to be like yeah. an inconvenience to them which is frankly ridiculous also i feel like one of the things that really displayed this like weird thoughtless approach to class divides in the most recent episode or maybe one of the most recent episodes was there's been this whole storyline with edith who's the middle child and her baby so she got pregnant by someone she was intending to marry who just like completely disappeared off the face of the earth she had the baby she was going to give up for adoption couldn't bring herself to do it decided she was going to keep it realized she couldn't keep it because she would like be turned out of the home which again really inconsistent because like mary can have sex but edith can't have a baby yeah all this stuff but then ends up like having the farm hands who live on their estate adopt the child and raise it as theirs so that she can still be around the child and then that actually becomes too painful for her and she like takes the child back in a convoluted way she it's meant to be her adopting the child that the farm hands have adopted yeah in order to give it a better chance in life this is the kind of thing you have to get on board with with julian fellows absolutely bizarre anyway once that's all done, the woman who had adopted the child, the wife of the farmer on the estate, gets very emotional because, understandably, she was raising this child and then tries to steal the kid back. Not really, but, like, just has an emotional moment where she, like, takes the yeah. child. And then the agreed thing to do is, like, Edith is like, this is honestly far too difficult. I'm worried for the safety of my child. They have to leave. And then they, like, kick, they they get kick evicted. them out. Yeah. They kick them out that, Like after being, like hey farmhand who has nothing to do with me can you adopt my child so that my family don't think that i got pregnant out of wedlock and then also i'm just gonna like take it back and kick you out with no and then the way that it's written is so that they're like farmer and his wife are are very like no we understand that this is for the best and thank you so much for your (laughs) kindness sir and they're like no, thank you for your kindness. You have done so much for this family. And everyone's like pretty chill about it. And you're like, this is nonsense. Edith, you're pure evil. That's like <laughs> awful. There's all no these things that have happened but everyone's quite like, no they're nice people really like just circumstance intervened. we are like no you're all terrible you're all like completely think that you can just bulldoze over everybody's lives. and
1: and not dissimilar thing happened in in an earlier series didn't it when that maid got pregnant by the sort of nasty soldier guy when yeah yeah, and then she uh, when the house was being used as a kind of convalescent home during the war incidentally don't speak to me about the war the downton abbey war years were terrible um and (laughs) and then you know his parents trying to adopt it and it was yeah it was awful yeah so julian fellow's not good at writing there's a lot of adoption
0: storylines there's a lot of like troubled pregnancy plot lines it's it's mad basically it's mad but i think the thing that's most annoying about it is like everyone in it is terrible and the illusion is that everyone there's quite nice
1: yeah and yet we just want to watch it and talk about it 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 operates, yeah. (laughs) As you can tell from all like, (laughs) ranting. It operates in some way in this brilliant, brilliant space where you hate it, but you can't stop telling people about it. Yeah. Um, And for that alone, it is a phenomenon that will not be forgotten quickly. I don't think. Very true. Last week, I recommended Anna, the novel Lolly Willows by Sylvia Townsend Warner. Anna, what did
0: you think? I love this book. It's a really sweet little book. Well, maybe sweet's the wrong word, actually. I don't want to patronise it. As you described it, it's a story about a woman whose father dies. She moves to London to live with her siblings. And then she eventually decides she wants to move back into the country and becomes a witch. For me, I thought, like, okay, so the first, like, 20 pages. And then we, like, see her witch life for the rest Mm. of it. It's not. It's like mostly really about her life in London, maybe.
1: And about her very gradual realisation that this isn't the life she's chosen.
0: Yeah. So I'd say at least the first half is, yeah. deals with that. And then after halfway at some point, she moves to this town called Great Mop and begins her sort of lonely life in the country. Lonely is the wrong word. Solitary. Solitary, yeah. No No negative connotations implied. And then her nephew basically just like turns up in Great Mop and is like, hey, I've come to live with you, Aunt Lolly. And she's like, oh, Lord, no. <laughs> 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 this is not what I asked for. And he like follows her around. He's kind of painted as like an annoying puppy, isn't he? Because mm. he's quite cheerful and well-intentioned, but he's just... Very uh, inconsiderate. Yeah, yeah, very, exactly. In the same way that these dance and our, every characters that we've just ranted about they have no concept that like people might not want their involvement in their lives Mm. very much the same the thing that i thought was clever about it is it could be not supernatural if you were the kind of person to be like oh how can i explain this as there being like no supernatural elements involved at all you could do that so a cat turns up basically the the cat kind of chooses her Yeah, so she's kind of sat there. I mean, she is, at the moment that the cat arrives, she is kind of, like, stewing in hatred. She's just like, I hate this guy. Why won't he leave me alone? Mm. And as that happens, this cat kind of strolls in, bites her so that she bleeds and then like drinks her blood and she's Mm. like of course it is satan's cat and you're like okay big assumption but sure and then the rest of the the novel kind of plays out with her being like of course this is a witch thing yeah (laughs) like they they don't really show her mental process that much or they do but it's very very simple like for example 11 p.m mrs leek comes over to take her somewhere and she kind of gets bored of waiting for Mrs. Leek. She's like, oh, well, it's nighttime now, so she's obviously not coming. And then she turns up and she takes her into the village and she's like, oh, of course, this is my first witch's Sabbath. And you're mm. like, what is that? <laughs> but she just doesn't explain. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, and it's just like a kind of gathering, isn't it? Of
0: Yeah, it's like a dance. Yeah, a and dance one of the nice things adventure. about that is she's like, it seems like, as a witch, I'm also doomed to not enjoy social interaction. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny, basically. It's quite Jane Austen-ish, isn't yeah. it? And it's like a comedy of manners, sort of. My My
1: absolutely favourite bit is right at the end when she has this kind of dialogue with the devil, Mm. it's sort of explained to you that the brilliance and the immense seductive power of the devil for women like Lolly is that he captures women and then leaves them alone. (laughs) And just all the way through, there's these themes in this discussion of solitariness and interdependence and what it means to actually be alone and be in charge of your own life and your own feelings. And just that, yeah, this final expression that, you know, she's turned to the dark side, she's done something sort of repugnant, but then the devil has just allowed her autonomy for the first time that that's truly his gift to her. That's what being a witch means. She's in charge of her own life for the first time. And that's I think, for me anyway, the kind of message of the novel. Yeah, definitely. Um, and definitely, you know, the in the time it was written in the early twentieth century, I think that's what Sylvia Townsend Warner is trying to say, is that we might think Of women's liberation as something kind of dirty or whatever but actually all it is is wanting to be left alone
0: that's why I think it works so well that so much of the novel is based around the kind of humour it's it's always funny Mm. but like these conversations she has to have like endless suitors being brought to her to like try on for size as it were and then she says kind of ridiculous things about werewolves and stuff that like scares them off Mm. and she has to go through fairly I think they're, they're not depicted as humiliating but I think we could tell but for a character who cared more about what people think of her they would be very humiliating um events where people aren't happy for her to one of the things like her brother manages to lose a lot of her money yeah and like doesn't even think to tell her until she's like i want to move away from well you. this is the
1: thing she in in london she lives this life a very sort of edwardian life of a kind of like a kind of poor relation who works as a companion almost yeah so you know she she lives in the house and she has all her food and clothes and stuff provided for her but it's never what she chooses it's never what she wants and she she works essentially as her sister-in-law's companion she helps look after the children she is very involved in all their concerns and they love their aunt Aunt lolly and she loves them but all the time it's the point that like, this isn't the life she chose
0: yeah and it's not the be all end all of her life she's not someone who's like actually i sacrificed my whole life for my nieces and nephews she like loves them and she's very kind towards them but there's ultimately this idea always going on in the background that there's something more waiting for her Mm -hmm. there's a lovely motif midway through the book where she starts bringing in flowers yeah um and she brings them into her bedroom and then they're brought out of her bedroom into a more communal space by her sister-in-law each time so she goes out by herself missus Dallowayish fashion buys herself some like extravagant flowers and they get increasingly exotic you know and then eventually she finds the flowers from great mop but i did really like that kind of like gentle funny feminist exploration of what yeah. it is to live alone and what it is to go against social convention it's really nice it's just it's done it's so not heavy-handed it's so easy to make this book sound heavy-handed and it's and so it's, delicate. it's not at all it's it's
1: yeah delicate a good word for it delicate and sort of gentle and subtle and really beautiful i think
0: and funny and mm. like just good fun to read like the witchy stuff at the end is so fun yeah. like it's just really like oh this is like brilliant i'm so happy for you and you're like weird cat called vinegar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah really enjoyed it would definitely recommend good so from one feminist text to another caroline <laughs> good sec next week i thought we could explore the selfies of kim kardashian with her book selfish okay so i was actually watching a keeping up with the kardashians last night where kim and kanye get married and there's a moment in it where she says i love making selfie books for kanye and he really loves it when i make them and then she's like on her wedding day when they're all doing her hair and makeup she's like finishing a selfie book for him for the wedding day and it's like really really cute so as, as listeners may know i love her really but i think the book is interesting and there's like some good articles to go with it So there's a poet called Sam Riviere, who I really like, who's written a book of poetry called Kim Kardashian's Marriage, which maybe we can talk about in a bit more detail next time. But he's written some pieces that I will give you to go along with the book. So, yeah, enjoy. Thanks again for listening to
1: Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. And thank you to all of you who left reviews on iTunes for us this week. We'd also really like you to come and like our Facebook page. We've only just started it and it's being run mostly by me, who's not very good at Facebook, so I really need your input. You can find it at facebook.com forward slash seriouslypod. Need to stock up on any weather wardrobe staples? Check out American Giant for hoodies, jackets, sweats, and more pieces you can wear anywhere. All made right here in the USA. Go to american-giant.com and use code ANYSTYLE24 for 20% off your order. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.